Our Old Testament lesson today is going to come from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, which is actually all of chapter 14. We're reading from Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all guilt except that which is good, and we will offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. We will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the forest of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow. They shall flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine. The fragrance shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress. Your faithfulness comes from me. Those who are wise understand these things. Those who are discerning know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a beautiful season in the life of our church. It's the four weeks that lead into preparation for for Christmas. It's a it's a Sunday. You've already seen. We've lit. We've already lit our our Advent wreath. We have, you've heard some beautiful Advent music. It, it is a great season to prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves to get ready for the Advent, for the coming of Christ in this season for, at Christmas time. During this Advent season, we're going to be focusing our theme upon a beloved hymn um, that you know so well. O Holy Night. Each week of our Advent messages will kind of correspond to a different line within this well-loved and well-known hymn of life of our church. And uh, we all, most of us all know and love O Holy Night and have some powerful um, experience with it. Um, One of my favorite experiences with O Holy Night uh, was for my time as, uh, as pastor of Ripley First United Methodist Church in, in Ripley, Mississippi. It was a beautiful church, wonderful time there. Many dear friends from that church still. Uh, Jason Franklin, the pastor there, is doing a phenomenal job. It's just, just, just a great church with great people. But one of the treats of serving as the pastor of that church was we had a, had, had a late night Christmas Eve service. It was a, I jokingly called it our midnight mass because I've always, I've always loved uh, a good Christmas Eve uh, late service at, at 11 o'clock or so. Uh, in fact, um, I'll, I sneak off a lot to a, another church to shop with the cross on uh, Christmas Eve to go to their midnight service uh, every Christmas. I'm going to miss that uh, this year. But we always loved that Christmas Eve service at Ripley. It was, a be- it was a beautiful service. It was a small service, very intimate service. Not a lot of people. Um, and it had a lot of cool elements to it. One of the elements was we did the candlelight like we always do. But the, the church was basically built on the highest point in Ripley. And so you'd walk out the front part, front, front of the church, and you'd look out on the town, kind of from the highest points in town. And it would, you really could almost see the entire town laid out in front of you. And it was, it was, it was just a beautiful um, uh, scene of Ripley laid out in front of you. And it was, always, it was always cold, and it was still. And we'd walk out with our candles, and we would 
be singing Silent Night. It was just one of my favorite memories of ministry, frankly, was to get to experience that there every year. But part of the service was we had a young lady in the church who had a beautiful voice. And she would always sing, Oh, Holy Night. And it was just such a beautiful rendition with such a beautiful, simple, elegant service. It just always meant a lot to me. It was always one of my favorite nights of the year at that church and one of my favorite nights, frankly, of ministry. And that song's always really meant a lot to me ever since then. Oh, Holy Night. The, the lyrics to this song are beautiful. And, and like I said, throughout this Advent season, we're going we're gonna to be kind of reflecting and letting each, each week let one of the verses from this song kind of be our guiding um, principle and our guiding thought as we worship together. Today is, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Today's we're going we're gonna to kind of focus on a long lay of the world in sin and error pining. Advent is, a, is this four weeks leading up to Christmas. And it kind of coincides. It's interesting if you look in the, in the Bible. The last Old Testament prophet wrote or did this prophecy around the year 400 B.C. And then roughly for the next 400 years. There was silence. I think about that sometimes, how for 400 years, the people of God didn't hear a word from a prophet. They didn't hear really much of the Spirit. There was almost 400 years, more or less, of silence. And that, think about that. that that's, that's, that's almost double the length that our nation has been existent, in existence. For 400 years, the people did not hear from God. And so I always think of that 400-year period kind of coinciding with the four weeks of Advent. And I think about the concept of waiting and of anticipation and of waiting. So they waited. They waited. But here's what they did when they waited. They, they knew that, yes, they had to wait for God. But they they looked forward with hope, but they looked backwards, and they remembered the promises of God. They remembered over and over and over again the promises of God. Next week in our, in, in, in our Rooted in Christ and next week's sermon, we're going to be looking for the Magnificat, and I've been already doing a lot, a lot of reading of it. So a little spoiler alert there. But in part of Mary's song of praise, she looks back at the faithfulness of God to the people in years past. And that the people, as they waited for God, and as the people, as they longed for God, as the people, as they, as they waited for the prophet to come, as they waited for the Messiah to come, as they waited for the anointed one from God to come, they, they looked forward with hope towards what God was going to do. But they were able to look backwards. They were to look back. And remember what God had promised that he would do. They were able to look back and remember what God had done. And how God had always been faithful to the people. And how God had always promised to keep his word. They waited. But they trusted because they remembered what God had done in times past. They heard nothing. But they waited knowing that they would hear again because God was true 
to his promise. Hosea isn't really a passage that we associate with Advent, is it? Typically, your Advent passages deal with a lot of the gospel retellings. Um, Advent, for us in this context, isn't just a time to remember that the people waited for the birth of the Messiah. But it's also a time for us to focus on the fact that we too are waiting For they were waiting for the birth of the Messiah, and we are waiting for the return of the Messiah. So we too wait. We too wait like they did. So many of the gospel passages that you'll read during this season, in fact, the, the passage we read earlier today, reflects upon the focus upon the return of Christ and the waiting that we currently are doing for his return. Hosea, Hosea's not that. Hosea deals with redemption, but it deals with it regarding forgiveness. Hosea is one of, Hosea is one of the more interesting um, prophets in the Old Testament to me. The Old Testament prophets were, were oftentimes called to do things that were unusual. They, 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 they would say things that were unusual. They would do things that were unusual. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, as Babylon is fixing to destroy the city and conquer the kingdom, goes out and buys a field because he bought the field with the, so the people would know that, yes, even though they were going to be taken in exile, they would return back and they would plant again that this defeat that was coming was not the end. That's an unusual thing to do is to buy a field as the bad guys are fixing to destroy the country. Um, Ezekiel saw the wheel within the wheel and experienced and saw all kind of crazy things. Well, Hosea's story is a little different. Hosea's story is much like the rest. He didn't just preach a message, but Hosea lived out a message. Hosea was a prophet, and part of what God instructed Hosea to do was he married Gomer. What, what a great name, by the way. Married Gomer, and Gomer was a prostitute. And over and over and over in their life, Gomer would commit infidelities And she would fall into prostitution and fall into sin over and over again. And over and over again, she would break Hosea's heart by her actions. Over and over and over, she would commit adulteries. And it would just destroy Hosea because of her actions. But Hosea loved her. So every time she would fall away, and every time she would fall into sin, And every time she would commit adultery, every time she would commit infidelity, Hosea would purchase her back. He would win her back. And he he would forgive her for her many sins over and over and over again. And such in that, Hosea's life is an allegory in many ways for for the relationship between God and his people. Just as Hosea loved his wife, just as Hosea loved her so very much, Over and over and over again, she chose sinfulness over her love for her husband. In the same way, Israel, even though God loved Israel, even though God gave Israel so much, even though God loved the people so much, 
over and over and again. The people rejected God's love and chose their sin, chose the sin of idolatry, chose the sin of wickedness, would, 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 would look at the great love that God gave for them. But over and again, they would choose time and time again to fall into sin. And you see in the book of Hosea, God speaking through Hosea, where God would say, my anger is roused within me. I'm furious. I'm heartbroken. I'm angry at your continual choosing to sin. But over and over and over again, God chose to forgive his people. God chose to love his people. God chose to restore his people. Hosea 10 is one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible. Well, you see the first part of the chapter, how God is just so heartbroken and angry at the sins of the people. But then he says, how can I give you up away from him? It was I who taught you to walk. I loved you with the cords of human kindness. My compassion is awake, awake, awoken within me, and I will not give you up, and I will not give you up over. I am not a man. I am God. And Hosea is this beautiful book about how great our sin is, but how much greater God's love is, that God's love is so much greater than our sin. It's a powerful story of God's love and of God's, God's forgiveness. In fact, the passage we read today is an interesting passage. Because when, when you read it, the first, the first section, it's interesting the way it lays out. Because notice what it says here. It says in verse 1, it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. But then verse 2 says, Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, This, this is a prayer of confession. One of my favorite things in the life of the church is when we do communion together. When we do the full liturgy of communion, and I'm looking forward to doing that together as a church family together again. And part of that, we always do a prayer of confession. We confess our sins. And it's really cool how we all say together, um, we confess our whole heart. We have not loved you. We have not been an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have not heard the cry of the needies. Forgive us, we pray. Fear us for joyful obedience. And then, I don't know if you ever noticed it, if you're familiar with our communion liturgy, we'll all respond together. And then uh, we'll ask forgiveness. And then there's a silence. And I will say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And then if you ever noticed, the next line of the prayer is you responding to me. When you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And then we all say amen together. So in that prayer, we all are confessing together. Then I am reminding you that God has forgiven you. I'm not forgiving you. I'm not doing any of that. I'm simply reminding you that you are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. But then you remind me that I am forgiven. I'm letting you verbally hear that you're forgiven, but then you are letting me verbally hear that I am forgiven. It's this beautiful prayer uh, that lays out how we confess together. I remind you that you're forgiven. You remind me that I'm forgiven. And then we're all reminded that we are forgiven together. That's kind of what's happening here in this passage here. Because it says, take these words with you and, and, and say to him. And then the prayer that confesses this. Take away our guilt. Accept that which is good. 
Assyria shall not save us, and we will not ride upon horses. It will say no more our God to the works of our hands. There's two interesting things that they're called to ask forgiveness of. First, they say, Assyria shall not save us. Israel was a small country, very strong, very small strip of land, very important location, but very small strip of land, very small country. And so they, when they were getting attacked by Babylon, they would turn to Assyria. When they were getting attacked by Syria, they would turn to Egypt. They were always turning to their neighbors for help. Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, Persia, whomever. And God over and over again says, do not turn to your neighbors for your defense. Do not turn to your neighbors for your safety. Do not turn to your neighbors for any of these things, but turn to me. Your deliverance will never come from human alliances. Your deliverance will come from the Lord God. Israel over and over and over rejected God as their deliverance, God as their safety, God as their protector, and chose instead to rely upon human alliances. God says, no, do not trust in Assyria. Trust in me. Your deliverance never comes from the things of earth. Your deliverance comes from God. It's a great reminder for us, I think, sometimes, isn't it? Because that leads into the second thing they confess. No more will we say to our hand, no more will we say our God to the works of our hands. They were, when they were not trusting Assyria for their deliverance, they were trusting their own strength for their deliverance. They were turning to human political alliances or turning to, to their own efforts. And it says, in you the orphan finds mercy. There's no more helpless being in all of creation, especially in their context, that an, or, that an orphan. Then God says when they have confessed this stuff, when they have confessed that they will not find uh, their strength in Assyria and they will not find their strength in their own hands, but they will find their, their identity and their strength in God, then they will receive his forgiveness. They had much sin that they have done. They had done so much. And God says, ask forgiveness for, ask forgiveness for, your, for Assyria. Ask forgiveness for your own pride. And you will hear, you will receive my forgiveness. You will know my forgiveness. You will be forgiven. He is going to give forgiveness. He is going to give restoration. He is going to give these things. God is going to restore. But that time of restoration was not yet. The Messiah had not yet come. Redemption had not yet come. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Israel was longing for their redemption. But the deliverer had not yet been born. So they waited. They waited with hope. 
They waited with anticipation. They were waiting for their forgiveness. They were waiting for their redemption, for their forgiveness from sin. They were waiting for their deliverance from their enemies. They were waiting for all of these things, for God to bring around restoration, for God to bring hope, for God to bring forgiveness, for God to bring life, for God to bring these things. And God had promised that he was going to do it. God had promised he was going to do it, but he had not yet done it. And so they waited. But they did not, they did not wait defeated. They did not wait brokenhearted. Their weight increased their faith. Their weight increased their trust. Their weight increased their hope. Their weight increased their anticipation. They did not wait as those who were defeated by the longing, but their longing increased their faith and increased their hope and increased their everything. Sure, there was temptation. There was temptation to give up. But they didn't. Because they looked back at what God had done. And they continued to hope. They continued to hope. We're waiting now, aren't we, y'all? We're not just waiting for the Lord's return. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. That's how Revelation ends and we're waiting for that, but we're waiting for something better to come. 2020 has been hard, hasn't it? It's been a hard year. We've lost a lot this year, haven't we, y'all? We've lost, we've lost loved ones this year. We've seen pain. And maybe, maybe we haven't lost loved ones, but we've lost experiences and treasured memories. Those of you who uh, had seniors last year, their senior year didn't go exactly like you'd hoped, did it, as a parent? Our, my family's Thanksgiving looked very different than normal. We've, we've seen a lot this year. And we've grieved a lot this year. And we waited. And it's tempting to get up, give up sometimes. It's tempting to focus upon the things that we've lost or the things that were hard or the things that were challenging and not remember the things that are yet to come. Because that's what, that's what I think waiting does, is it makes, us, it makes us focus sometimes on the immediacy instead of that which is coming. Instead of that which is coming. God promised the Israelites that he would heal them, that he would forgive them, and that he would restore them. He promised them that in Hosea. He said, if you confess these things, I will come to you with forgiveness, and I will forgive you, and I will restore you. I will. I will forgive you, and I will restore you. He promises us the same thing today, y'all. 
He will heal us and He will restore us. He will bring forgiveness for our sins. He will bring restoration for our lives. He will bring redemption for our family. He will bring grace for all of our brokenness. He will bring hope. He will bring joy. He will bring love and he will bring peace because he is God. Advent teaches us to anticipate these things. But it doesn't just teach us to anticipate them. It teaches us to live in their assurance now. I don't just hope for what is to come in the future. I live in hope today because God is good. And he has forgiven us. Even now. Even now. He has forgiven us. Redemption comes, y'all. Redemption comes. The sun rises. It always does. I joke that I'm a, I'm a barnyard animal. I go to bed when the sun goes down and I get up when the sun comes up. That's what I do. I'm a cow, basically. That's how I roll in my old age. One of the joys of getting up early is seeing the sunrise. And it's so beautiful to see the sunrise. You, you'll, see, you'll see little, little, little streaks of it. You'll see like the, 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 the horizon start to kind of, kind of shine a little bit. And you'll see it. And you can kind of start anticipating it. And then it just erupts. And light floods everywhere. And it's so beautiful. And the sky is lit up. And it's just gorgeous. It's so tempting in life to think that the sun will not rise. And that things will remain dark and broken forever. That's how the people felt before the coming of the Messiah. That's how Hosea felt when Gomer fell into sin. That's, that's, how, that's how we feel sometimes. Frankly, that's how God must feel sometimes with us. But the sun will always rise. Light will always come. Forgiveness and healing will always come. Redemption will always come. Hope will always come. God is a God of hope, redemption, and life, and it is coming. It is coming, y'all. Long lay the world waiting. And redemption comes. Today, friends, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how dark or bleak or hopeless it may seem, do not give up. For redemption comes. When we confess, as Hosea instructs us, forgiveness is coming. Do not give up on the hope of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your hope, which is new each morning. God, give us your joy, your redemption, your power, your love, and all these things. We love you, God. 
We praise you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.